0: You're to the Mr. Sensational Genovega Podcast on the Odyssey Robots Radio Network. Hey folks, it's me, it's me, it's Gino B, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega. Coming to you, yes, you, I'm speaking directly to you, you know who you are, you, with the Mr. Sensational Genovega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. We are here, folks, we are here with episode 55, 55 alive, we are now five increments past halfway to 100. And when I first started doing this show in its original incarnation, way back in like, gosh, it was like the pre-Mr. Trump days. So it would have had to have been um, like at least 2016. I had to quit doing it for a few years when I had a full-time job that got in the way. And that was, um, I got hired for that job on the night that um, Mr. Trump won his election. Not when he won his second election, when he won his first election, not when the the fake votes um, caused him to um, appear as if he didn't win the election, but the, the first one when they actually he was able to overcome uh, all of the voter fraud. I was out the other night here in Napa, California. I was um, at a drinking establishment and a fellow walked in. He was wearing a shirt that had a, it was like the Quaker Oats logo. But on the Quaker Oats uh, guy's face. Instead, it was Joe Biden's face. And it said, Faker Votes. Faker Votes. Get it? Could you imagine? Could you imagine purchasing that shirt and wearing it out in public? But the mutants are among us. So I guess I should not be surprised. Faker Votes. And don't get me wrong, folks. I, I have no problem. I mean, you can support whatever you want, whoever you want. Um. But once it veers into this nonsense of um, the fantastical the conspiracy theory, that's where regardless of stripe, that's where um, you and I have to part company anyway um so I've been doing the I started the show at least back in 2016, and all I meant to say was that um, back in 2016 or earlier, I don't know that I ever would have envisioned us getting anywhere near 100 episodes and we're not there yet. We're not out of the woods yet, as they like to say. I hear that a lot. That's such an irritating... There's all these terms in the lamestream media, you know, the fake lamestream media, um, that just get used to death. But I I imagine it's because the public, writ large, responds well to certain phraseology. Because I have to imagine there's there's studies done on this, there's tests done on this. But... um, from my own weird cave, I always find these types of terms irritating. Um, but yeah, a lot of times when I hear um, coverage on, uh, for instance, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, I'll hear talking heads say, we're not out of the woods yet. It's like You can't th- think of a different way to, to uh, um, uh, we have not yet overcome the problem. We are not at the end of this pandemic yet, but no, we are not out of the woods yet. I get people like their folksy colloquialisms. What can I say? Why why, why am I being such a stick in the mud? Why am I being such a killjoy? Um, but where was I? Huh? I grass. You have to go back to, uh, 54 episode 54 to understand what I mean when I say I grass, but I do grass and I don't even remember what I was saying now. Um, Oh, I, I I know. I was saying that we're not out of the woods yet on the way to episode 100 of the Mr. Sensational Genovica podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. We are not out of the woods yet. If we do, in fact, never make it to episode 100, I'm going to have to, what's another overused phrase? Oh, I'm going to have to walk these statements back, walk them back. Um, and, um, but if we do make it to 100, check it out. Here's another one. I'm here for it. I'm so here for it. Well, I'll have to be here for it because I'd be the one talking. Unless I hand over, we, we, we do like a, um, you know, a, a, a Bewitched, a Darren on Bewitched thing and uh, Dick York becomes Dick Sargent and Mr. Sensational Gino Vega becomes being played by uh, some other individual. Um, I will have to be here for it. But anyway, all I'm trying to say, folks, is we're closer to 100 than I ever thought we would be. Will we make it? God only knows. the 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 podcast gods alone can judge me. They uh, that that's another great. Um, that's less of a lamestream media thing. That's more of like an athlete thing. Like uh, some athlete just like got busted on domestic violence and like you know maybe killed some people and uh, you know drunk drove their car into a school and only God can judge me. Well, that, be that as it may, um, as a, a as a thinking, intuiting individual. I I may, I may, uh, you never know the whole story, I do understand, but at the same time, you know, people do get impressions off of behavior. So perhaps only God can judge you, but I I guess that doesn't give you license to act wantonly however you want in this social world without other individuals having thoughts and opinions in there. Get it? Get this? Hearts and minds. That's another great one. Hearts and minds. Hearts and minds. Okay, Um, so yeah, we are here on big episode 55, on our way to episode 100, uh, podcast God's Willing. Um, What are we going to talk about? We are back to where we were last episode, in that the life sensational has been even more ordinary, even more average, even more mundane than it typically is leaving me with very little to draw from as far as podcast content, as far as things to wax on and wax off about here on the podcast. Um, and each week I think to myself, maybe something happened, but then nothing happens. Then I realize we're not out of the woods yet. We still got to think of something, something to talk about, but I've come up with a few ideas for, um, this big, super special, episode 55. Um, Still in the realm of free flow, of stream of consciousness, not quite as free form as last time, wherein I can't even remember what I talked about last time. But this time I'm going to riff on two topics that have general topics. It's kind of a stretch to call them topics, but two thought melanges. I don't even know. Is that a word? I don't know. I just made that up. I don't know if that means anything. Here, out of curiosity, let me check this on the Google machine (laughs) real quick here. (coughs) And, uh, mes Isn't that how they say my God in French? So melange is actually a French word, and it's a mixture of medley, such as a mélange of tender vegetables and herbs. Um, so yeah, I kind of went for a Hail Mary on that because I was trying to think of like what sounds like a mixture, what sounds like a medley. Well, a mélange sounds like one, and by God, mes dieux, I was right, and I don't know French, and I never will. Um, but I guessed right on that one. So, um, moving on with this thought mélange. Uh, so point one, the first head of this two-headed melange monster is, um, something where I actually want to circle back to something I was saying a few moments ago about, um, my own personal conspiracy theory. I mean, it's not really conspiracy theory, it's just the it's truth. Most of the things you interact with on like an institutionally social level, like mainstream advertisements you see, news programs, so on and so forth, you know, these things are not done by accident. They're not, you know, someone doesn't just throw a bunch of words on a wall and see what happens. There's such things as focus groups. There's, you know, college courses taught on marketing. There's, there's marketing psychology. There's, there's, you know, broadcast psychology. So in, When you're watching whatever your dumb news entity of choice is, whether it's CNN, whether it's, God forbid, Fox News, you know, these companies are very, I mean, they are where they are because they are successful at understanding their customer base, speaking to their customer base, manipulating their customer base. And I don't even mean that in a sinister way. I just mean that that is the point of these entities as media corporations. They're attempting to draw in viewers and monetize those viewers. Um, so the way that people talk at these networks, it's not an accident. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that they don't come up with some of their own verbiage, some of their own phraseology, but you know that there's, there's company edicts as how one speaks about things based on market research. Case in point, um, MMA journalists, preeminent MMA journalist, one of the, one of pretty much one of the founders of what we know today as MMA journalism, Ariel Helwani, um, Ariel Helwani, the uh, uh, host of the wonderful MMA Hour, something I listen to on a weekly basis. I enjoy the work of Ariel Helwani. Uh, He stepped away from the MMA Hour for, I think it was like three years to work for ESPN. And during his time at ESPN, there were certain strictures into how he was able to communicate. And for instance, one of them was um, UFC middleweight champion, current uh, UFC middleweight champion, is a fellow who ESPN will tell you that his name is um, Israel Adesanya. Israel Adesanya. And at a certain point in interviewing and working with Israel Adesanya, Ariel Hawani discovered that the actual way to pronounce Israel Adesanya's name is in fact Israel ya. like he's going to diss on you, you know, like Israel Adesanya. Adesanya, Um And so he started referring to him on ESPN uh, broadcasting that he was doing as Israel Adesanya. But he was reined in by ESPN brass. It's like, no, 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 no. We're saying it the other way because people people think of it that way. People think that that's how it's said. So you have to say it the wrong way. So he went along with that until he parted ways with the SPN. Now he's doing his own thing again. Now it's back to Israel. Adesanya. Um, point being is just that, you know, the, the, again, these things don't happen by accident. Um, so what I'm trying to get out here is that anytime that you are plugging into the Borg, anytime that you are engaging with, you know, for lack of a better term, the well overworn, not particularly descriptive from of mainstream media, any communication media that's coming to you um, from kind of like a conglomerate uh, launching point where there's been all this um, marketing research and psychological research going into the content that you are consuming. Anytime you choose to engage with this sort of content, you're basically... Giving yourself over to a certain amount of manipulation or a certain amount of um, understanding that you're joining into a, uh, what do you want to call it? Like a mass conversation. You're accepting certain things as truths um, and that's part of engaging with this content. I mean, unless, of course, you're trying to watch it critically or something and you're trying to like, argue with what's being said. But generally speaking, you know, if you're sitting down as a sports fan you're trying to watch some ESPN, you are accepting that you're becoming part of this group conversation. And there's a certain tenets of that conversation dictated by ESPN that you are accepting as truth. And I'm not saying this in such a way that, oh, this is this horrible thing that we need to fight against. That's just that's that's life. That is without getting too far afield in academic jargon, um, when I used to study philosophy, one of the most interesting things, belief systems that I encountered, that I choose to believe myself, your mileage may vary, but it's something that speaks very much to me, is this idea that when it comes to our life as social creatures, our life as, um, members of a, I don't want to say a community, like not a, not, not a personal community, like your friends, your family, uh, you know, your, your hobbyist peers, but when you're, when you're just out in the world transacting as, as a, as a, as a cog, when you're going to use the ATM, when you're going to buy stuff at the store, when you're, uh, you know, flying in a plane, when you're watching ESPN, um, you were engaging in these social systems and they are these systems that Exist independent of us as the individual personal human beings that we are. Like when I go to the bank and withdraw money from the ATM, it makes absolutely no material difference whether I am the sole Gino Vega. I simply have to be the credentials Gino Vega. And so long as I'm authentically the credentials Gino Vega, that's all that matters. So, my own personal belief system, the Geno-Vegan worldview, as it were, um, is that we live as human beings kind of inhabiting this Venn diagram of these two spheres where we have our real personal life, doing things that matter, uh, engaging with with people we care about, um, having unique uh, interactions, and then the social sphere where we're basically part of this machine that exists independently of us as persons and we really have no no power to control or do anything about um that we are born into this machine like world but somehow within the machine there's a strange there's a strange ghost in the machine that is our personal lives. that And the two exist sort of in tension, sort of in competition, and also sort of mixed together because you can't completely ever extricate yourself from the social machine, easy for me to say. But God forbid you ever lose that personal side and you just become an entirely a person of the machine, a thing of the machine. Point to all this is that it is no surprise that when interacting with mainstream corporate content, you are in interacting in the social world, you are being driven as part of a herd, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we want to do that. Sometimes we want to have ESPN. Point being, we spend a lot of our life in this herd mentality. But at the same time, you constantly hear people who are fully plugged in, uh, fully participating in this herd mentality Thinking that they're the smartest guy or gal in the room And they've somehow figured it all out And everyone else is the sheeple But they're not part of the herd While they still continue to consume herd content of their own sphere And behave in this herd-like way Which is going to bring me to the uh, punchline to all of this One of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately um, For a variety of reasons And that is this (laughs) Folks, this is the 10 minutes in the future version of Gino Vega coming to you. Traveling 10 minutes back in time, think of me as Kang the Conqueror to Dr. Victor Von Doom uh, to inform you that 10 minutes into uh, what I was last seeing, my uh, recording program crashed and the last autosave, because I'd been on a roll, I'd just been on a stream of consciousness, the last autosave had been 10 minutes prior. So I lost the entire punchline of what I was attempting to gress about. So I'm going to give a much more lackluster version now because I I had laid down 10 minutes of what I thought was exceptional audio and it is, it is gone for good. It is lost to the void forever. But what I was trying to say, what I was hoping to say is that uh, some years ago in the early days of YouTube, in the early days of memes... There was a meme that some of you may remember, a YouTube clip that went viral about a fellow that um, I think was commonly referred to as Epic Beard Man, or also known as the AC Transit Incident, AC Transit being the Alameda County Transit, a transit entity that I know all too well for my time living in Oakland, California, because the bus system that uh, serves the county that the city of Oakland is part of, Alameda County. Um, This meme, for those of you who remember it, for those of you who are familiar with it, um, depicts two men getting into an altercation on an AC Transit bus. Uh, One man being an African-American gentleman, um, the other being a white gentleman. And on first glance, you see um, the African-American fellow is wearing like a red flannel shirt and has like cornrows. The white fellow has a white beard and he's wearing a blue shirt that says... I am an MF'er on it, except his is not censored for family friendliness, as we do here on the IC Robots Radio Network. His actually says, you know, I am an MF'er, but what that actually means. Um, and they appear to get into some sort of altercation. That's hard to suss out exactly what's happening. Um, uh, it, it seems to be that the the African American individual thought that the white individual was making some kind of racial slur. The white individual, individual claims he wasn't the African-American individual would not let it go and was following the guy, and the guy turned around, knocked him on his behind. That's the meme. Now, the way that this meme was interpreted in its heyday was that the um, individual with the white beard, who I, I believe in the YouTube clip he identifies himself as a Vietnam veteran, but he certainly does in subsequent interviews that he did, the story was downtrodden Vietnam veteran being picked upon by a young punk, a young thug on the AC Transit Turns around and teaches the young thug not to mess with his elders and knocks him clean out with a with a all American punch. Um, and so a lot of people were very excited about this meme, um, and that was the narrative moving forward. Come to find out, um, at least for those of us in the Bay Area who where this meme kind of lived, I think probably a little bit longer than it did in the larger world outside the confines of the East Bay area. Um, Whenever one of these kinds of memes happens in the Bay Area, whenever there's some uh, something about some working class person or, or even lower than working class, like homeless person or whatever, goes viral, there's always some opportunistic, as um, ISR or engineer nerd would call them, skinny jeans, flannel shirt, pork pie hat wearing hipster that, that worms their way out of the woodwork and makes a documentary. And I, and one of the one such fellow was uh exploiting Epic Beard Man after the fact, and like did some interviews, and Epic Beard Man continued to talk about like what a Vietnam vet he was, and you know what an all American Captain America hero he was, so on and so forth um, but local newspapers kind of got contacted, I believe by you know family members of the individual I think his name is Thomas bruso, and they were quick to point out, no no, no, he did not serve active duty in Vietnam. He's essentially a mentally ill guy that goes off his meds and acts like a belligerent jerk. And other people corroborated that this guy's been around the Bay Area for years, just going around yelling at people, yelling obscenities, getting into it with people because he's a mentally Ill, Ill individual that goes off of his meds. So, what was this inspiring to some tale of a Vietnam vet standing his ground, standing up for himself against a young punk? Was actually a guy off his meds, acting belligerent. Oh, and by the way, the young punk was in his fifties, so I think he was still younger than than Thomas bruso, But the the illusion of the this this young snot nosed punk messing with his messing with his elders, messing with a senior, messing with a veteran was all hokum. This did not stop people from accepting the meme as it was presented on face value, no questions asked. And this falls into something that I um, describe to me, myself, and I and my own framework of, of lexicons and sayings and the Vegaverse here by myself as the law of Cain and DX are on the other side of the parking lot. Now, what do I mean by this? What I mean by this is many years ago, my younger brother and our friend Rob attended a WWE or might have even been WWF at the time. SmackDown television taping. I can't remember the exact year, but it was when, it was still like the tail end of the Attitude Era. The Rock was still around. Um, WCW was gone at this point. It was like when uh, Eddie Guerrero was d- doing that dopey thing where he was like in love with China. Whenever that was, it was that era. So we arrived at the Oakland Coliseum for the SmackDown taping a bit early and we realized we were standing right next to this kind of barricaded off entryway where all the wrestlers were using to get into the performers entrance to the Coliseum. So we were able to see all these people arriving for the show. So we kind of posted up there and we were watching and like big boss man walked by and I got to say, Hey boss man loved you on America's most wanted. Cause I think he'd just been featured on an episode of America's most wanted recently or, um, X pot came by "Hey, one, two, three kid, you know, hilarious insider stuff like that. Um, but as this crowd grew, and as all of us uh, were waiting to go in and watching the wrestlers, I noticed this little kid on a bike. And this kid, I, for sure, I don't believe was there to attend the show. I think he was a kid that lived in uh, kind of the wastelandy industrial area near the uh, Coliseum, and he just kind of tooled up on his on his bike to see what all the hubbub was about. But he couldn't see a darned thing because of all of us. Uh, means-having, ticket-holding um, adults were crowding the walkway so this little kid on his bike couldn't see anything. Um, so he kind of stands back. He surveys the scene. And all of a sudden, he just lets out, Hey, everybody! Kane and DX are over on the other side of the parking lot! And without missing a beat, the crowd turns around and stampedes to the other side of the parking lot, where I can guarantee you Kane and DX were not. The boy sees the completely empty barricade area now, walks right up, looks around, goes, huh, I like how that turned out. Now, why did those people believe him? Why did they take a disembodied voice stating a fact as gospel truth? Again, in that moment, they were inhabiting a social sphere. They were a social cog in a machine of attending a live wrestling event. They heard a communication imploring them that these performers that they wanted to see were over on the other other end of the parking lot. They accepted that social cue as a herd and they stampeded. I don't even fault them for that. Where things take a strange turn, and I, I, I have no, I don't understand why. I have no answer for this. People will take an internet meme like Epic Beard Man at face value. And assume that the narrative that they're seeing on first glance or that someone else tells them they're seeing is 100% true, no questions asked, this poor man, this good Vietnam veteran, it doesn't even occur to them that what someone might be be presenting themselves as or stating is false. They know nothing about this person. They know nothing about the backstory. They're seeing this this disembodied image, much like they heard the disembodied voice at the uh, Oakland Coliseum about Kane and DX, and they are... Automatically accepting it as truth, no questions asked. However, when it comes to a different kind of herd behavior, one that I find to be much more, uh, how should we say, useful, um, when it comes to the herd behavior of accepting communications, accepting information from authoritative sources, from experts, from people that have credentials, from people that have been peer-reviewed, from people that have spent years, decades studying and researching a topic. In that case, people become reticent to accept this communication, this information as truth. They they feel reticent to behave in a herd-like way when it comes from an authoritative source in service of, say, something like public health. Public safety. That's a bridge too far. The disembodied voice in the Coliseum parking lot, however. The grainy images of Epic Beard Man on early YouTube. That, that is unquestioned gospel. I remember the first time I ever heard Superman's origin stories. And there's the whole issue of the Kryptonians refusing to believe... The findings of Cal, whatever the heck his name is, and the other scientists on Krypton, and I thought, even when I was like probably like four, and I heard that story, ah it seems a little unrealistic. But what did I know?? <laughs> Well, that first absurd diatribe, absurd musing about nothing really other than me spinning my Gino Vegan gears in the March toward Oblivion went a little longer than I anticipated. So I'm going to wrap it up here this week. Um, just with some parting brief thoughts, as brief as, as Gino Vega can possibly be, um, you know, I turned 45 in August, and much like 55 makes me realize, 55 episodes make me realize we can possibly reach 100, 45 years of age makes me more cognizant of ever that I will assuredly at some point, uh, God willing, um, reach old age and death, as will we all. <laughs> Sorry, not trying to be not trying to be goth, not trying to be a downer. I just been it's, it's just been not bugging me lately but just been something I've been thinking about just just how finite time is. How uh um everything moves towards an end and that end will be here before we know it. And not to be like depressed about it, but I'm just, I've just been trying to um appreciate my time right now more than I had been cuz I feel like I'd been on a jag where I'd sort of just been like Got a bunch of things I'm waiting for to happen right now. Um so it's kind of putting myself into sort of a, a mental storage space in the meantime, and I realized, you know when I'm just like letting weeks and months go by as an afterthought. Those are weeks and months that are never, never coming back. Um so forty-five, you know, has got me on that that jag. I am sure and I know some of you out there are older. Um but just generally once you start pushing 50, hitting 50, you're, you're unequivocally in to put it nicely middle age, you know? Um, and then, you know, I did, I dealt with aging parents, dying parents. And you realize when you do age, it's not like, it's not like you're you hundred percent right up to the last day. You know, you gotta, you gotta think about that decline. Um, But uh, another another thing that's been driving this point home for me lately, too, is that, uh, you know, I've got the two kids, one and two, who are now 16 and 13, and at 16 and 13, they are little kids no more. That time period is over. That time period is done. So it's really strange now when I look at old pictures of them or old videos, like those individuals no longer exist. And some of that's exacerbated by the fact that we moved, too. We lived in the same house for 10 years, and we left that house, we left that town. In a sense... In a sense, it was almost like uh, already dying once. And like now I'm in this new life where I kind of vaguely remember this past life. But it's, it's it just, you can never go back to it. It's gone. I know some people get very obsessive about chronicling everything in pictures, family pictures, 5 million pictures of the kids. And it's not like I don't take pictures of my kids, but it's like, even when I look at those pictures, it's like, that's not, I can't, it doesn't replace the fact that that time period is gone. It's just, there is no going back there. It is gone. And of course I didn't appreciate it in the moment, but I don't think you can ever appreciate it as much as you, there is no, you can never appreciate the moment enough. Um, These psychos that try to tell you that they live in the moment. I mean, you can, you can aspire to that. I've, I've talked about this before on the show, but we're human beings that are constantly living in the past, the present, and the future. And the belief that one can live entirely in the moment is some new age huckster nonsense. As far as I'm concerned. But anyway, as I've been saying, I, I, I'm going through this flux time period of life, and it's making me think about my life, think about the finiteness of my life, think about the fact that many of the choices that I've made in my life are, the, the ship has sailed. There's no, you know, when you're when you're in your teens, when you're in your 20s, you're waiting for your life to happen. You, who knows what's around the next corner? I'm at 45 now, and sure, who knows what's around the next corner, most of that being like scary stuff, like... It, God forbid, you know, illnesses, the lack of health, uh, et cetera. But, you know, I'm not... My lifestyle is probably not going to radically change in the final years of my life. Um, but it's very easy to still, though, think of yourself as this person where your whole life's ahead of you. You can make any any decision you want at any given time. I'm realizing for me, I've pretty much written my story. I've pretty much made my decisions. And part of that, um, I don't know if it's so much something that I would worry about on my own, but there's definitely a lot of outside pressure in this society in which we live um, that one is supposed to behave in such a way, live life in such a way that there are no regrets at the end of this life. And how do you ensure that you'd have no regrets? Well, the one size fits all option that is often presented to people is you make sure to ward off regrets by achieving as much as you possibly can. All those achievements, achieve, achieve, do, do, work, work. And, you know, I've lived a life where, I mean, I have, I have worked outside the home, but I also more than worked outside the home, have not. I have accomplished things in the sense that I have children, I have a family, I have had houses, um, but I'm not out there doing superstar stuff. I don't get a lot of kudos and accolades. I'm not some, you know, Producing all this stuff that all these other people are consuming. And those are the kinds of things that I oftentimes feel conditioned that I need to worry about. That maybe on death's door, I'll be like, oh, I should have pursued X, Y, and Z more. I should have done um, Y, Z, and X less. I don't know. And I think about that sometimes, you know, when I'm in this paradisical state of mind on a Friday or Saturday night. The, week is done. The outside world is at bay. Everything's shut down. We're, we're shut into the house. Uh, we're all just kicking back, doing our thing. And I'm, uh, you know, playing some video games, watching something on TV. And then I think, God, am I just like wasting my life sitting here, watching other people's content, waiting for death? Um, it it struck me most recently, I've been trying to watch, um, Trying to do a Star Trek retrospective. And as you may know, I've got some OCD tendencies here in the Vega mind. And I can't just watch things casually. I can't just be like, I'm going to watch a couple episodes of Star Trek from here, there, this series. I have to be like, I'm going to watch Star Trek. I'm going to start at the original series. I'm going to watch that whole thing. Then I'm going to move to the animated series. Then I'm going to move to everything within the canon. And then I, I can't just be casual. But the problem with that is I often don't get anywhere. Because with something like Star Trek, there's so much content I would have to dedicate, like, the next five years of my life to only watching Star Trek, really, to get through all of it. So I've managed to break through the OCD. I've managed to not let the OCD in the house, as the therapist advises. Um, and I have made a compromise where I am watching Star Trek, and I did, in fact, start with the, uh, the original series. But I'm not watching every single episode of each series. I'm finding some guides online, and I'm paring it down to um, critical episodes, uh, must watch episodes, and so um, I'm still kind of new in this. I had been trying to watch every single episode of, of the original series that imploded, short circuited. I gave up, restarted with these recommended episodes. So I'm at. I just watched the Menagerie, which we're all familiar with. The Menagerie, I'd seen it a million times. You've seen it a million times, but I wanted to see it as part of my sweeping scope study of watching all this stuff in order um, and how it how it all measures up together, how the characters develop and plots develop and so on and so forth but in the menagerie there's a line that i got it when i heard it i wish i I was like i'm going to talk about that on the show i wish i had uh recorded it somehow but i didn't get around to it but the um uh the telosians are are talking about you know basically pacifying humans as animals with these images and you know i realize that's what i'm doing when i'm playing video games when i am uh watching television watching star trek i am this animal pacifying myself with these images that make life make my life more interesting than it actually is make the world more interesting than it actually is um so is that a bad thing is that something i should be depressed about and again there's a lot of forces out there that um would argue that yes, you need to be the one creating the content. You need to be the one in charge. But no one's really in charge because when you're the person, when you're the famous creator of Star Trek, you're the slave to that job. That's what you've chosen to do with your life. You're not necessarily having a healthy personal life. You're not necessarily having a healthy family life. I'm pretty sure Gene Roddenberry didn't. Uh, most people that have are, are epic creators. I think. I think it's very hard to balance um, epic creation, which involves a lot of, of, of self focus, a lot of time, uninterrupted time with oneself and one's creations. It's hard to balance that with having healthy relationships with others. And God bless the people that make that choice to make that sacrifice and do it because they give me something to watch. But I'm realizing, you know, for me, for my life, for the way that I'm wired, the thing that is absolutely most important to me is just kicking the heck back with my family unit. I'm perfectly happy with that. Um, so I'm endeavoring moving forward to not worry so much, not let those thoughts get inside my head, not let those disembodied voices, as it were, like, Kate and the DX are over on the other end of the parking lot. But in this case, it's like, you need to be doing more with your life. It's not okay for you to be content with what you're doing. You're going to regret it on your deathbed. I'm not going to regret anything. I'm not going to get regret anything. I have as deep, and meaningful relationship with my kids as one could possibly hope to... Uh, Imagine I'm married to someone that's been my best friend since I was 14. Um, I don't know, I don't know what there is to worry about. And I know that's not all stuff you can choose, that's not all stuff that, uh, just like I can't, you know, you can't necessarily choose to be a super successful this, that, or the other. I mean, you can want to do that, but not everyone is, you know, some are that go attempt that path and succeed, some attempt it and fail, some want to have a family and don't, some don't want to have a family and do blah 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 blah. It's all kind of a roll of the dice. In my case, I found myself in this situation and I realize that I'm totally content. And with that, I'm going to stop having night terrors and I am going to sign off for this week for Big Episode 55. Good lord, did I stick with it for this thing? Because I was, I like, was literally almost in tears when the software crashed earlier, but here we are. We even went kind of long. I try to keep it no longer than like, ew, 38 is I feel too long, and that's where usually where we end up. We're at 39 going on 40 here. So folks, folks, this is me, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega for the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network signing off.